0: everyone, thank you for tuning into the podcast again this week and if it's your first time, welcome. I really hope you enjoy this interview. So this week I had Lucas Frey with me on this show. Lucas is a hockey skills development coach and the owner of Top Speed Hockey in Sweden. Through the interview we talk about his career playing when he moved overseas at a pretty young age to pursue professional hockey in Europe. you know, the ups and downs of that, as well as you know troubles and things that if you were a player going overseas for your sport, you should be thinking about or looking at right now to make sure that you know, when you're there, you can hit the ground running and you can, or hit the ice skating, however it is going to be for you and your sport specifically. But just really important things sometimes that outside of the sport we don't think of. And then getting deeper in talking about Lucas's work now, what I really liked about top speed hockey is their full, their approach to the actual whole athlete. You know, they're not just after hockey-specific things. They're after building full, complete athletes that are going to succeed in the sport at the highest level. And this is talking, you know, physical training, mental training, on the ice, video breakdown, off the ice. And one of Lucas's real key points was uh, something he felt he lacked in his career, which was feedback. And so in his work now, one of the goals is that every player is leaving their sessions with him, no matter where they are, learning something new, knowing something that they didn't know before. Because the more you're learning, the more you're actually taking in, the better you're going to be able to actually put out on the ice. And I really like this. I think, you know, that's something that a lot of people really don't utilize enough. And so it was really cool hearing Lucas's insights into that and just the way he goes about giving those things to his athletes. And then uh, I won't ruin it for you guys right here, but there was also a couple of pieces in this one about goal setting and just about the long-term approach to the development of an athlete that personally I just absolutely loved. And I know I'm going to be using a lot moving forward. So uh, I really got out a lot out of this one. And I know a lot of you guys are really going to get a lot out of this one too. So I'm I'm gonna leave you to it. I'm gonna let you get to the interview. But just quickly before we do, I wanna quickly give a shout out to my Mobility Training for Athletes program on Train Heroic Marketplace. I really think that this is gonna be bridging a gap with a lot of athletes out there. You know, there are so many people that have these issues with mobility, whether it's, you know, sore, tight, achy hips, problems in their back, their shoulders, wrists, knees. We see so many in sport all the time. Yet, there are so few athletes following a designated mobility training program to fix these problems. So, I built this program to be three simple full-body mobility sessions per week delivered straight to your phone through my online training platform. And this gives you all access to something to add into the rest of your week, something that can really help you just recover better feel better and most importantly perform at your best when it matters most so if you're a hockey player going into an off season this year and you've had some issues in your hips your back your shoulders your knees whatever else it might be or regardless of your sport i think this is a great one to check out you can check it out by clicking the link in the show notes you can start today with a seven day free trial for the program so get on it take a look and as always let me know what you think Now, without further ado, let's get you over to Lucas Frey. This is the Elite Development Podcast, a show with the aim of helping athletes evolve in every element of their careers through real-world advice and experience. I'm your host, Kenny Duceau. I'm a strength and conditioning coach in Calgary, Alberta, with a singular focus on building better athletes. And now, let's get to the episode. Thanks for coming on the show. I always appreciate you taking the time to do this.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor.
0: I really appreciate that. And uh, So just to start us off, where I like to go with the guests is talking a little bit about you, know, you and your specific background. Can you talk me through you know, your life growing up in hockey and just sort of how it led you to where you're at now?
1: Yeah, of course. Uh, I started playing hockey when I was two years old, actually. Uh, my dad put me on skates really early and I have a big hockey background in my family so I've always had a passion and love for the game. I was growing up in Boston, Massachusetts and played there until my junior career. After juniors I decided to go play professionally and uh, not go to college. Just a decision I took at the time so I went to Louisiana in the uh, SPHL. Played down there for a little bit and had uh, a couple Swedish guys on my team and they told me like your are playing style you should go over Sweden and try playing over there you'd benefit more for it so twenty years old I said okay pack my bags and get on a plane to Sweden and I came here and first year was a lot of ups and downs um, twenty years old living away from home and different country different language so it was a bit tough then I went back home played in uh, USA for two or three years in between then decided like no I'm gonna go back to Sweden and test it out again like I don't want to leave off how it went the first time so I came back over here and fell in love with it and played there the rest of my career over here and unfortunately had to stop playing because I got too many concussions and that being said I wanted to stay in the game and I do what I do now
0: Yeah, I mean, it's an unfortunate thing, but it's a a common story with concussions cutting hockey careers short. But uh, I wanted to talk to you about that first year off in Sweden, because obviously that's something that, you know, we deal with more and more and more in the sporting world is kids having to leave home at young ages. And, you know, a lot of the time it's likely not to another country and another language and all of that. But can you talk through... You know, if you had known a couple of things before going over, like if there was anything you could have known that would have helped you adjust a little bit better, if there's another athlete now facing a similar situation, moving overseas to play, is there anything you would tell them to just be prepared for something that might be able to help them transition a little easier?
1: Yeah, I mean, when when I came over, I came over in November, and I didn't play my first game until january february so i was here for a few months practicing here for my first christmas by myself and um it all started because like i got so gung-ho happy to come over here didn't think about the visa and all the the background work they had to do beforehand so i came over here started practicing the same day i got off the plane and um team wanted me team wanted me to play and i said of course like i would love to play but At the end of the day, like, if I would have stayed in the USA, played games there, and got my visa, got everything squared away on the backside, it would have been much easier for me to come over here and get right into games instead of being here for a few months practicing first.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's got to be a tough thing, right? Especially if the team is playing and everything, and you're just not allowed to until you get all that stuff sorted out. Yeah,
1: I mean... It was a bummer. Of course it was a bummer. Like you're you're in a new country, you see the ice, you see how much different it is than the US style. And I was pretty bummed out and made me a little bit sad, of course, that I was watching my team play and I was just sitting in the stands every single game for month after month. And then finally I got the green light that the visa cleared and I could start playing. So it was it was a great time once I got my visa and could start playing. But for those weeks in between. It was a bit hard mentally,
0: for sure. And was there anything that kind of got you through those weeks in between? Because obviously, you know, like you said, you're sitting watching your team every day. You're not able to contribute. Like, was there anything in particular that helped? Or was it just knowing that, hey, this visa is going to come through eventually? And, you know, if I just stick it out, I'm going to I'm gonna end up getting back on the ice.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, I had the passion for the game, you know. Yeah. So I was working my butt off morning to night every single day on the ice as much as possible, in the gym as much as possible, and kind of just grinding it out until I got the green light. Um, So I I pretty much just tried to stay positive mentally and did as much as I possibly could to become a better hockey player, even though I wasn't playing games at the time. And just waiting for that day that the GM called me and said, like, you can dress tonight.
0: yeah i mean it definitely it's got to be easier when you've got that passion right like when you know you can still you can still practice you can still train you can still kind of keep yourself ready and just eventually finally that green light's going to come for you
1: yeah absolutely and like you're waiting day after day you know you wake up in the morning you look at your phone and am i getting the call today or is it another day that i have to wait longer so
0: yeah And then uh, as well, just even before that, you know, you said you made the decision to go play pro directly at a junior, not go to college or anything like that. Was there anything in particular that went into that decision or was it just, no the excitement to keep the game going and keep yourself, like, start that step in your career?
1: Yeah, like I had the option to go to college, of course, but when I was in high school, I went to vocational high school to be an electrician, actually. So I knew I had that as a plan B if I needed it after my hockey career was over. So I figured like, why not? Why not just go play now? You know, of course, you have four years in college to play and you can get a good education. But at the time, I just thought like, you know, I'm young, I'm healthy, I'm playing good. So let's try to make the best of it now, because you never know what could happen if I went to college. Maybe I don't get that chance later on.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things, right? Like everybody wants to put that idea of like oh you have to do it this way or that way like you have to have your plan b set or you have to take the college route if you have the opportunity because it's a good choice but yeah mm-hmm. like you said you never know what could happen like I know I've dealt with that with a few athletes that I trained that they're finishing up high school and they're thinking you know oh no I should just stop playing I should go to university or whatever else it is but you know if you play a few years or take a shot at it for a little while and it doesn't work out starting university at, you know, 23, 24, 25 years old, instead of right out of high school, you're not nearly as far behind as people think, right? It's like, so worst case, if you want to go all in, best case, it works out. You make yourself a career in your sport. Worst case, after a few years of trying, you decide, Hey, this isn't working out and you start, you know, quote unquote, real life then. Right.
1: Yeah. You can always go back to college too. You know, like, if let's say you try it for years and you okay it's it's not my thing I'm gonna go back and get education like there's no problem with that now nowadays every hockey player is 21 years old as a freshman so you I mean like you said you're not far behind and you can definitely always go back to something for me it worked out perfectly fine you know and my first couple years playing I actually did a couple courses online to get my personal training certificate and start my coaching degree in the backside while I was playing. And then I knew like when I was done playing, I would definitely stay in the game in some way or the other. And yeah, it landed me where I am now.
0: Which I mean, by the looks of it, uh, couldn't really have worked out better.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, of course, like I'm, I'm 32 years old. I I probably could still be playing, but I can't because my head and, you know, you, like you said, plan B kicked in pretty fast and, I was fortunate enough that it just took off.
0: Yeah. And then can you talk through like how that transition was for you, you know, going from playing to coaching, obviously it's not the way that anybody wants to be making that change, but you know, like after that last injury, when you're receiving that news, can you sort of talk through what that process was like for you? Like first dealing with the fact that you knew you wouldn't be playing anymore and then how you sort of made the switch full-time.
1: Yeah. To be honest with you, I, I couldn't take in the information. Right away, um, I got hurt, and then took me a few months to get out of bed again. And I just told myself, like, no, I wanna, I wanna continue playing, which wasn't smart. But I ended up changing my game quite a bit, and I changed my playing style. And I played one more year. And after that season was over, I wasn't satisfied with the player I turned into. And then I just told myself, like, okay, I need to leave the game and start coaching and helping players become successful because right now I don't think I can do anymore. And then I transitioned to coach and I coached, uh, five years, I think it was. And at the same time, I always knew I wanted to be like a player development coach and work with individuals. So every summer I built up my business slowly, uh, built my brand, how I wanted it to be, uh, took me four or five years while I was still coaching. And then when I decided like, okay, this is enough, I can, I can do this full time. And I jumped the gun and started doing it full time.
0: Yeah. And I mean, it's probably got to be a great system too. If you've been coaching for a few years, then you've got, you know, hookups with teams and other players around that are able to kind of transition pretty easily into the new business too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that was the best for me because from playing, I met a lot of people I met a lot of coaches. Then I started coaching and the same thing happened. And being in Sweden, I, I met a lot of people from different countries, too, because we have a lot of imports here. So yeah. I kind of branched out and I've done some work in Denmark, Poland, uh, New Zealand. So I thought that was pretty cool that I could branch out a little bit. And from there, it just kind of kicked off and blew up.
0: That's awesome, man. I love hearing stories like that, especially guys like yourself when you've got so much passion for it. Like it just, it's really coming across already how much passion you have and, you know, to see people like that staying in the game, it's just, it's always a great thing to see.
1: Yeah. And also from like coaching too, like, you know, every coach has a different style and I think it's great. Not every style is correct or not every style is wrong, but it's how I took things from different coaches and kind of pieced my work together. Yeah, uh, I wanted to, you know, take what I was successful at and how what made me a good player and bring it to other players, and I wanted to take some stuff and change it as well, and I I did that. And
0: yeah, good. I mean, I think that's the that's the way you really succeed, right? As you learn from your own experiences, you're able to take the, you know the good things about yourself, but also things that you might not have had, and figure out how you can bring those to other players. Mm-hmm. From that as well like that transition obviously you said you played another year after that last head injury and you just weren't satisfied with the player you become was there anything in particular that made that decision for you like anything particular about how you were playing i'm just curious because obviously it's a tough position to be in as a player but you know maybe there's somebody out there that might be able to learn from that experience too of how to look at their game and sort of say you know what like it's time for me to time for me to be done now too yeah, I was a I was
1: a defenseman my whole life, and no one knew that. They always thought I was forward. I was very offensive, and uh, I loved joining the rush and love, you know, getting assists, especially. Like, I was a pretty big playmaker, um, and then my last year, I kind of turned into a defensive defenseman, you know, playing only penalty kill, only playing special teams, and never transporting the puck end-to-end, coast-to-coast, and that was what I loved to do. Like, I loved making that transition behind our goal, bringing it all the way down setting the play up. And then the last year is pretty much just make a good first pass. And then my job was over. And at that point, I just wasn't happy with it, you know, and made me stop.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's fair for sure. Just with stuff like that, obviously it's, you know, it seems like it's been the right decision for you, but uh, it's a—it's obviously a tough thing when you've been doing something your whole life to have to look in the mirror and say, that's it. Like, that's yeah. it for the sport. And, you know, it's time to time to move on and time to do something else. Yeah, absolutely. And then can you talk me through your company, Top Speed Hockey, They just sort of how it actually, like, we talked through a bit how it, how it came to be with, you know, like you building it up slowly over that time. But when you jumped in, can you talk through, like, what was your goal as far as, you know, what you're able to bring to your players and then just sort of the evolution of it since you created it, I believe in 2016, if I remember correctly, through to now, what was sort of the evolution of your company?
1: You know, I wanted to give the players the things I didn't get as a player. And um, I started with doing skills camps, having 20 players on the ice. And my main focus at the time was maximizing feedback. I wanted every player to leave the ice knowing something new. Um, so I started with that. And then over, over the time, I decided like I wanted to lean more towards the individual development, taking players to the next level by individually going over their game film, learning details that maybe a coach can't give them. Because as a coach, you have 20 players on your bench. It's hard to give the feedback to every player. Yeah. So with my role, I can pretty much sit down on a game film and we go over it. The whole 60 minutes and if you have five shifts the first period well you're getting five shifts of feedback in the first period
0: I love that and as far as that feedback goes because I think that that's something it's a very underutilized tool in Mm -hmm. athlete development like I think it's you know whether it comes from the fear of coaches of like giving either giving too much feedback or you know the players fear of how they're going to be perceived or whatever can you Mm -hmm. talk through why that was so important to you as like you know giving as much of that as possible
1: I thought, I mean, in USA, you get, you get feedback and it can be positive feedback. It can be negative feedback. When I came to Sweden, I feel like the coaches were almost timid to give the feedback. And I felt like if I could have got better feedback as a player, maybe I could have played much better. So when I work with my players now on the ice, off the ice, in the gym, doesn't matter where where I am with the players. My main focus is that they're leaving their session with me knowing something new.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, I think that's fantastic. And it's something that I think it is definitely a struggle. I know that's something early in my career that I had some difficulty with for sure was giving feedback like that. And Eventually, I just realized that, you know, again, the goal is always to put the best athlete possible back into competition. And that includes them needing to know what they're doing wrong or what they could be doing better and what else we need to be doing to improve them even more. Yeah. And if my goal is to help them the most I can, why would I not give that feedback? Right. So it's a good, exactly. like, it's such a great tool.
1: And like with the feedback too, like, I don't look at it as like, okay, good shift the bad shift. Like I break down the small details into depth and it can be 20 things in one shift that they did good, or maybe they need to improve on. And those 20 things, I mean, it's going to benefit you the next shift.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So breaking down every element of the shift, every element of the game, not just sort of, you know, not just surface level stuff.
1: Yeah. And for me, I believe that skating technique is the game nowadays. Um, every player that's successful needs to be a good skater. So I always look for skating technique first, make sure that players are mastering that. And then after that, I break it down into maybe stick handling or maybe body position or flexibility or, you know, there's, there's so much to break down.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and if you're really trying to make it to the top level, right, every one of those pieces is going to be important. It's just where to start and how to like what to build off of, you know, giving the right foundation to move into those more complex things. Exactly. Because, you know, you see so much now, like we were talking about before we started, you always see these little highlights, right? It's like you live off Instagram or YouTube, you see the 30 second clip of the beautiful goal that, you know, whoever scores and kids always Mm -hmm. want to go right to. I want to do that, you know, they see Connor McDavid dance through four defenders and then like leave the goalie out of the crease and roof a puck and they're thinking they want to get right to that without really understanding the basic, the fundamental, you know, those basic things that are going to lead to them actually being able to do something like what they're seeing in these highlights.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And like, I mean, another most important thing is like you have to accept failure. Yeah. You know, Connor Connor McDavid, of course, he's he's one of a kind, but he has his good days and he has his bad days you know and it's how he can take his bad days and turn those into good days yeah and with the 30 second shift like yeah it was a great 30 second clip but what happened before the clip there was probably 40 seconds something that happened maybe bad before the clip but it turned out good and he's so good mentally that he can transition a bad play into a good play and come out on youtube with it you know
0: yeah. And I love that you're going right into, you know, being so good mentally. Cause I noticed that was one other thing when I was looking at your website, you got, you said, you know, the mental side of the game is something that you guys focus on. Mm-hmm. You talked through a little bit about like, you know, when you're doing these individual sessions, like what sort of things are you working on? Cause it's easy to sort of surface level say like, yeah, we help the mindset. Like what sort of work are you doing with your players? Cause I do agree. It's massively important to be working on that stuff but I'm always curious to hear different people's approaches and, you know, how they, how they go about that.
1: I mean, for me, the biggest thing with mental coaching is accepting failure. I believe that the faster you accept failure, the faster you're going to be to getting back on to having a better shift. Um, Myself, when I played, like if I had a bad shift, maybe it lasted me two or three days after, and I just wasted two or three days that I could have been even better. So I try working first with the distractions and what is failure for two and then how to overcome failure for three, because the faster, like I said, the faster they overcome it, the better they're going to be the next shift or maybe two seconds down the road. You don't know how long it is, but the most important thing definitely is accepting the failure.
0: And can you break that down a little bit more? Cause obviously, you know, it's one thing to just say, yeah, I failed, but to actually be able to, you know, realize what that failure is, like you said, and then overcome it, I think is a whole other level. So like when you say accept failure, like in your, in your example, as yourself, as a player, you said, you know, you'd have a bad shift and sometimes it's lasting two or three days. Can you talk through like, can you break that down a little more for me? Like, what do you mean when you say it's lasting you two or three days when you're having a bad shift?
1: For example, like, let's say you're not even a bad shift, you can make a bad pass, right? You make a bad sh- bad pass, you come on the bench, you're thinking about it, and you're thinking more about it, and you're thinking more about it, and you're getting in this little demon in your head. And when that is in your head, it's just bringing your game lower and lower and lower, rather than going to the bench and saying, ah, bad pass, it's okay, I can do better next shift. And kinda, I tell my, my guys, put water in your face, reset. Every time you come to the bench, good shift or bad shift, take your drink of water, put water on your face, reset, next shift, start over again.
0: Yeah. I like that. Cause again, you know, no matter how, like one thing I know I've heard some, uh, some people say on this show even before is no matter how good you are, no matter how bad you are on any given day, that's mm-hmm. not going to have a drastic impact on your career, right? If you go out and score three goals tonight, you're still on the same team in the same league playing the same game tomorrow. If you go out and have five bad games in a row, you're still on the same team in the same league playing in that same spot. It's like, obviously you want to be able to get past it and you want to be able to move on. But if you're letting that get to you, it's just going to compound. And if it, you let it compound, then, you know, you have, instead of having one bad shift, you have a whole bad game. Instead of having one bad game, you have a whole bad week. And it just gets worse and worse. But if you're able to have that sort of reset tool like that, no matter how good or bad the shift was, you're on, you're restarting, you're starting fresh next time.
1: Exactly. And another way I teach the kids, too, is like you have three levels. Level one is bad. Level two is good. Level three is great. In a game of hockey, you're never going to be at a level three for the entire 60 minutes. But you can be at a level two for most of the time. Let's say you're playing. Let's say you have a big role on the team and you're playing 28 minutes, maybe 26 of the minutes. You can be at a solid level two across the border. You can get up to level three, but also you need to come back down to level two because you don't want to have that big ego, you know, or you go down to level one, you make a bad pass, a bad shift, goal behind you. Well, then you need to find a way to get back up to level two to reset for your next shift.
0: Yeah, and for people who maybe have some trouble doing that, because I know I've dealt with athletes before where, like, I've given similar sort of advice of, like, you know, no matter what happens, you just need to be able to let it go and move on. Do you have any tricks or anything that, you know, like, you find either works for you or works for some of the players you work with that they might be able to take in and start practicing like beyond just that reset as well which i think that in itself is a good tool as well but do you have anything else that you find works well for you for that
1: yeah uh a thing that works really well in it i mean it doesn't sound so hot but it's it's pretty smooth uh each game i give the players three goals and these three goals are different for every player. It's individual goals. And I have them write their goals on their water bottle and tape it to the water bottle. And every time they come to the bench, I have them look at their water bottle and read it. Okay, I did one I did one out of three, good. Okay, reset my three goals to the next shift. Here they are, boom, go out next shift, perform, come back to the bench, reset again, and keep going one after another.
0: I love that, man. I've had uh, players before tell me what they've done is they've had a similar thing where they have goals for every shift, but they have it written inside their helmet. And then yeah. between periods when they take their helmet off, they've got their goals for the game written, like written and taped inside their helmet so they can reset every period. But yeah. then water bottle on the bench, I love that even more because you're seeing it yeah. so much more through the game.
1: If you get six shifts a period, right, and then maybe the first shift doesn't go your way you can't waste those six shifts and wait for the period to end to look at your your notes and see your goals for the game where like now it's in front of you, you know, it's on the bottom of the water bottle. You're seeing it every single shift because every, every player is drinking a sip of water between each shift. Yes. It's it's facts. Mm -hmm
0: you you should be and if you're not start
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly
0: <laughs> and uh based off of that as well one thing that i would think would be important but i'd love to hear your thought on it as well is making sure that those goals are process focused right it's like you can't always necessarily like if you say i'm going to score a hat trick tonight like my goal is to score a goal every shift or you know score two goals in the game or whatever you can get 15 shots and you can be up against a superstar goalie and he can just stop all of those. And now, you know, you're going home thinking I didn't achieve that goal. Whereas if the goal is more process focused, you know, you're positioning on the ice, making sure that, you know, you're always in the right position. You're never getting caught. Little things like that, that you actually have the control over. I would think yeah. that would be an important part of that.
1: That Yeah. Process- uh, 100%. You hit that right on the nail there because, the most important thing is that the goals are realistic. Yeah. If you're a defenseman, for example, okay. If you write down, you're going to score a goal a game. Maybe you're going to reach it 10 games out of 30. Yeah. You know, where like when I'm talking to defensemen on the phone before a game and setting up the goals, it's more like, okay, good first pass, good gap control, catching the puck on the blue line, taking your steps to the middle before you shoot. So it's all reachable goals that they can reach every single shift. And once they come back to the bench, they can reset, focus on those three goals again. If they can do that for 60 minutes, they have a good game. Like it's yeah. common sense. It's facts that's going to happen.
0: Man, I absolutely love that. Like any, Like any hockey players listening to this, and especially, I mean, really any athletes of any sport, like I think this is such an incredible tool. And again, if you're looking at your game and you're analyzing, you know, where your weak points are right now, or, you know, the things that you are trying to work on within your game – Mm -hmm. Write those down in a place that you're going to see it between every shift. Like, that's it's brilliant. Like, then every shift you're resetting, you're thinking about those things you need to work on. Mm -hmm. And like the effects of something like this, right, are huge because if you're doing that for a 30 game season, every single game, you're looking at those goals, let's say six shifts every period, three periods every game, 18 times a game over 30 games. Now, all of a sudden, that plus the practices, you're making an astronomical difference to your game over the course of any given season 100
1: percent. and another thing too is like you got to stick to what you're good at you know like yeah if you're a defenseman and you're let's say even a defensive defenseman you're not going to write like i'm going to do two, two toe drags today like that's <laughs> not you that's not who you are like you got to be realistic with yourself and like honest with yourself look yourself in the mirror before a game and okay I'm a defensive defenseman. Well, maybe I need to block two shots per period. Maybe I need to make a good first pass, good gap. Then those goals are going to be reachable. Then after time after time, when you've seen you've accomplished those goals night after night, then you can add maybe one more step to it. But until you can have those things consistently, there's no point to make any changes.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I think that's huge too, right? Because I I love what you said there about sticking to what you're good at. Because I know I've talked to some scouts on this show in previous episodes, and mm-hmm. they talk about that. They say, you know, especially at the younger age groups, what they see so often is they'll be interested in a kid because they're a really great defensive defenseman. And mm-hmm. then when they're at the game, you know, I guess that kid knows that they're in the stands watching and looking at him, and then they, he almost tries to overplay his role and you know tries to join the rush too much or whatever and ends up not having a good game but it's like if you're playing for the scout Mm. you're probably going to screw yourself up whereas if you know they're interested in me because i'm a great defensive defenseman keep Mm. being a great defensive defenseman that's what they're after they're not after you for you know the 20 30 goal seasons they're after you for being that good shutdown guy
1: absolutely perfectly said there and that goes back to the mental focus too you know, like if you're having these goals for 30 games and they're working for you, like, don't change it if it's not broken. Because the scouts are there for a reason. And when those scouts are there, it's because you did something good the game before that.
0: Yeah, exactly. If they're, the, if they're there to watch you, they want to see you. They don't want to see some enhanced version of you that's trying to impress them. They want to see you. Exactly. I love that, man. And like such an easy tool for players to use. Like that's one of the, one of the great things that I've been really enjoying about doing this show is just like those little, like any player, no matter what the sport can take that idea and apply it to themselves today with no trouble at all.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. And they're going to see a, a game changer for sure.
0: Yeah, without a doubt. And uh, so you mentioned as well that you do uh, on ice work, uh you're working with players in the gym, the mental side, like you're all encompassing in that way with players. And so I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on this. The main reason when, that I started this show in the first place is obviously evolved over time. At the time of this recording, we've got 90 episodes out and four more ready to go. So um, it's evolved over time, but the real goal behind it is to help athletes learn what it takes to succeed in sport. You know, So whatever your version of success is for you in your career, want to be able to bring tools that you can use to help further that goal and Mm -hmm. in your experiences with the players you work with is there something that you feel like the players that are more successful the players that can reach those higher levels is there something you feel like they have that maybe the players who don't get there don't have whether it's a trait they've got or something they've got on the ice something that kids can work on developing to help them actually improve yeah
1: i mean you got to have the passion for the game. Uh, that's the number one thing. If you have the passion for the game, you're going to be successful in one way or the other. Yeah. Uh, also, thinking about like, you can be a hard worker or you can be a competitor. You know, like if you put two side by side, maybe the hard worker is going to just work his butt off the entire game, which is fine, but a competitor is going to win the game. So if you have that competing mindset, that you're ready to win the game no matter what happens, I think you can be pretty successful with it.
0: I love that. And just because, again, that's one that I haven't heard before, a hard worker versus competitor. But Mm -hmm. I do like that differentiation. If you've got a player listening to this that, you know, they've heard this for the first time as well, what do you think is it that really makes that difference between, you know, someone just being a really hard worker and someone being a competitor, like something that a player can really look at their game and see You know, am I a competitor? Am I a hard worker?
1: Yeah, like a hard worker, for example, like you can play 60 minutes, work your butt off doing everything possible. But at the end of the day, you can still lose the game. But a competitor, I look at it as like, they're going to do everything possible to get a goal in the net to win the game. And it comes from like winning pucks, you know, blocking shots, pucks to the net, traffic to the net, all the dirty work is also like it's hard working and competitive at the same time. Yeah. But a competitor is going to finish the job.
0: Yeah. And I think the big thing there is intention, right? It's like working hard. I always talk about that with athletes in the gym. It's like, there's so many people out there that they want to be the guy who's in the gym for the most hours, you know, like, Oh, I train every single day. And I do this, 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 and that it's like, Mm -hmm. but if you're in there for three hours a day and you're doing 45 minutes worth of real hard work, the two hours and 15 minutes, extra isn't helping you other than pumping your ego up to tell yourself i'm the guy who's in the gym three hours a day right yeah like, there's no purpose for it yeah exactly it's like whereas if you can have a purpose behind everything you do i think that's sort of what i got from that the competitor versus the hard worker is like the competitors got purpose you know they're not just working hard to work hard they're working hard doing specific things that are going to put the puck in the back of the net and help their team win the game
1: yeah yeah absolutely and like you, you hear coaches all the time saying like we're a hard-working team yeah well that's great but are you like competing team are you a winning? A team? Team? <laughs> are you a winning team exactly so like that's that's the big difference for me especially because like those athletes that are successful they need to know how to compete yeah and compete with a purpose
0: yeah and then on that note how are you working on instilling that within your athletes? Let's say you've got a kid coming in, he's got all the skills in the book. How are you working on instilling that ability or that mindset of competition versus just the skill and the hard work? Yeah, I mean, I look at a lot of different things in a lot of
1: different ways, but I also think about more of the mental side of it. You know, like you need a kid that is willing to, win the game at any given moment and going to the mental side of it a hard worker is great but if you put a hard worker out there with two minutes left down by one goal you're probably not going to get a goal but if you put a player on the ice that competes you're probably going to get a goal
0: yeah okay i like that and like Yeah, obviously, I know that was a pretty broad question, how to how to instill that in a player. But, uh, you know, my thought is more like if we're, you know, if I'm talking to a 14, 15 year old kid that, you know, they want to pursue professional hockey Mm -hmm. and that's the change they need to make. They need to develop into the competitor, like things for them that they might be able to work on or they might be able to take away that it's like finding that difference or finding that change between just working hard for the sake of working hard and competition, that's actually going to help them, you know, rise through those levels and pursue the career that they want.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you're competing and you're a competitor, again, that's, I see it in so, so many different ways. It's hard to, to find words to explain it. Let's say like, let's say, uh, I don't even, I don't know exactly how to explain it to you
0: no that I mean that's definitely fair i think the like i think the purpose and the intention is a really good takeaway for players anyway right it's like whether it's coming into training and the goal is again not just being in the gym sweating hard for the sake of being in the gym sweating hard but actually having a purpose behind what you're doing while you're there like that's something i know i talk to my athletes about all the time and strength and conditioning is you should be able to take a look at your program and I've got it all on their phones now. So you should be able to scroll through your program, come across an exercise and say, why are we doing this? Unless yeah, the if I don't have an answer uh, that actually is going to help apply to your sport, that's a mm. problem. Right. Exactly. And that's like, so I think that's a great example, you know, taking that difference of just hard work to competition and training And then the same thing with what we're doing on the ice, right? It's like, if you're just on the ice skating around, taking shots, that's great. But who's going to be different? You know, the one who's just putting 500 pucks on the net for the sake of it, or the one who's practicing their accuracy. You know, I'm going to put 15 shots off the crossbar, 15 shots into each of the top corners, and actually working on something that's going to transfer to a game.
1: Yeah, and and doing it with a purpose.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly and then uh, over those like over that time now like you work with those more individual players and can you talk through like any just success stories like anybody that you know like you're particularly proud of of like you know the difference you were able to make or the difference the player was able to make from like the time they started with you and you know just sort of development of a specific player you don't have to name names if you don't want but you can give them a little shout out if you want to as well yeah i mean
1: i have a lot of players right now that i'm I'm really proud of, um, and I have kids born 2012, all the way up to professionals. So I think everyone has done a tremendous job and I've seen a big difference in their game. And the biggest thing I've seen in overall is the stress factor. Before I started working with a lot of kids, I see a lot of stress on the ice. I can see it in their eyes. I can see it when they get the puck. So I try to go deeply into the thought of like why they're getting stressed. Like I want to see that calm, smooth, like good posture, good body language, good positioning and doing everything. Yeah, just calm. So before I started working with a lot of players, I watch a lot of their videos and see like what kind of player they really are. And then once I I come down to it, I mean 90% of the players I've seen have a lot of stress in their bodies when they're playing. So I try to work a lot on the, the stress factors and like what's causing the stress and is it inner distractions? Is it outer distractions? And a lot of players in three, four months have changed their stress factors tremendously because you see the difference in their game.
0: Yeah, you see them able to calm down, stay centered a little bit more, and not just rush decisions when they pick up the
1: puck. Exactly. And they enjoy it more. You know, and yeah. I've had players, I mean, even the younger ones, Ones that are born in 2009, 2008, and they're tremendous players, but they were just missing that small piece of their game. And then when I could start working with their stress levels on the ice and really getting into their mind and, like, telling them to relax and, like, you're going to enjoy it a lot more. And when you're smiling on the ice, you're going to have a lot more fun and you're going to be a better player overall. So seeing those players just go straight up to the ceiling, it's – I mean, if they continue the development they're on now, nothing's going to stop them
0: man I love that because I think that's something too that you know I've heard that on this show a whole bunch of times but uh, like as you move up the levels one of the things that's so important right that I think we overlook a lot is fun like Mm. it's it's hard to be a professional athlete it's hard to train and perform at that kind of level even if you're not there yet but that's what you're working towards it's Mm. a difficult lifestyle there's a lot of training there's a lot of missing out on you know some social activities and things like that And if you're not enjoying it, if you're not having fun, it gets harder and harder and harder to actually want to live that life. So I love that, you know, that idea of seeing players smiling on the ice is an important one to you as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it hits you in a different way, you know, like you, you see that and you're like, okay, I'm doing a good job.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I remember hearing, uh, hearing a story about that athlete that I've worked with for a little while. And, uh, he had jumped around a few different teams and, you know, like he'd just kind of having some issues with the coach in one team and then just some other issues on another team. Mm -hmm. Finally, he jumped onto a team. And I remember talking to, uh, talking to his mom after she was down watching a game of his. And like, she called me after and she said, she was like, you know, for the first time in three years, I saw him smile while he was on the ice. And it just like, even just hearing that it's like saying it now, still putting a smile on my face. And it was like, You know, it's something that like, yeah, we lose sight of it when you're talking about, you know, big contracts and things like that, but it all comes down to enjoyment. It's like, it's, it's so much more important than I think anyone really understands or realizes. Yeah.
1: And like going back to what you were saying before, of like what's going to make an athlete successful, like you got to have fun with it.
0: Yeah.
1: If you're going to the rink every day with a smile on your face and you love the game, like you're going to be successful. But if you're going to the rink every day and like, oh, I got practice today. I gotta to work out today. I gotta, to, I got two days today. Like, that attitude and that that language is, you're not going to be successful in that way. And maybe at the time you need to change your sport.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I think too, like, something that I know even within strength and conditioning, I've dealt with before is just feeling kind of burnt out. Right? It's like getting those moments where like, I still enjoyed being in the gym all the time, but. It just, there were a lot of pressures, whether it was, you know, financial or just things outside of the gym or what, that I just wasn't enjoying myself. Um, but whenever you ca- whenever I caught myself in those kinds of feelings, you know, I was able to reset a little bit. I was able to kind of sit back, realize that, you know, whatever's, ha- whatever's happening outside, it's going to pass. I'm going to be okay. Just get back to enjoying going to the gym every day. Do do you have anything like for your players? Cause I know obviously players deal with this similar kind of thing all the time. Do you have anything that you talk to them about, you know, if you're ever catching yourself, not enjoying it, how to sort of bring yourself back to the present?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's very common for players to get burned out, especially the ones that, you know, have that drive to go to the NHL and they just hit a wall and they, they've had enough. And what I tell the players is actually go, go do something else for a couple of weeks, you know, go play soccer baseball football right. or just go to the gym and hang out and relax and like have that itch to miss the sport again and yeah. once you have that itch you come back in you're just going to go up the ladder with your development
0: yeah and i mean i think that leads me into a great question you know we hear the debate all the time and thankfully more and more people i think are starting to understand the benefits but with those younger athletes do you talk to them much about you know playing other sports like being a multi-sport athlete especially especially in those younger years uh like i
1: swear by being a multi-sport athlete um all the way until i was i think 15 when i went to high school like i was playing golf i was playing lacrosse baseball uh, i was doing everything and as a hockey player the game has changed so much you can't just be a hockey player you need to be an athlete and if you can build each kid to be an athlete they're going to be more successful like it it comes down to that.
0: Yeah. I love hearing I love hearing you say that because like that's something I always talk about within, you know, my strength and conditioning practice as well. Is I'm not here to build a hockey player. I'm not here to build a football player. I'm not here to build, you know, an MMA fighter, whatever the sport of the athlete is. It's like mm-hmm. my goal is to make you the best athlete I can make you. Yeah. And then if you're a better athlete you go to hockey practice your hockey coach now has more ability to affect you on the ice because you are better athletically you know where you see so many of these strength and conditioning programs that it's like you know oh hockey specific training and it's you know like they're mimicking slap shots with like a resistance band or something like that and it's just it blows me away that you know you're doing that a thousand times a week on the ice as it is. And these people think that in the gym, I've got to be taking slap shots with the resistance band. And that's what's going to, you know, help take my slap shot to the next level. Not just yeah. building up my body's overall force output and then practicing my slap shot when I'm on the ice. Exactly. <laughs>
1: Pretty good there.
0: I agree with you on that. Yeah, exactly. Right. And like, so I love hearing you say that, that again, especially in those younger age groups, it's about being an athlete. So anybody, especially the younger kids listening to this one, like keep that stuff in mind. You know, if you're playing hockey through the year, you don't need that spring program five times a week and that summer program five times a week, just to come back to your regular season as well, you know, get out, play some other sports, learn how to use your body, learn how to develop and then come back to your season the next year, the better athlete. And you're going to see more and more and more success and also i
1: mean another way to look at it too like maybe a kid doesn't have interest in another sport maybe it is just hockey but then you got to pick up some more hobbies you know what i mean if it's biking or if it's just going to the gym or something outside the rink because you always need that itch to go back into the rink like you want to have that itch to get back into it you never want to be like day after day routine and you know it's it gets boring after time so it's important that you pick up hobbies on the side to alternate for multi-sport athlete.
0: Yeah. Cause I know I've had that discussion with parents before too, where like they say it's like, yeah, okay, I get it. But my kid just wants to play hockey year round. And so like, you know, the advice I always try to give is like, even if you cut it down during the summer, right. If like if they're used to being on the ice five times a week during the year, have them in mm-hmm. a program that's on the ice once a week for, you know, the first month of the summer, two months of the summer, like, cut it down so that you know they're excited about their ice time every week versus having them on the ice every single day through the summer. Cause like even if they don't get bored of it until they're 15, 16, 17, like they're going to hit that wall if they're just doing it every day, all the time, forever.
1: Yeah. And I mean, if you if you are one of those kids that just play hockey, well, like you say, like be on the ice once a week, but then you have six other days to do other things inside yeah. hockey where you can do mental coaching. You know, you can do yoga, you can do athletic training, you can do so much more inside the game as well, where if you are a one sport athlete, which some people are, will try to be away from the ice for a little bit. At the same time, you can still focus on some kind of subject of hockey in the back of your head.
0: Yeah, I mean, I like that too. Like that's really well said. Just it doesn't have to be actually on the ice, but it can still be benefiting you for your Mm -hmm. game. Absolutely. Well, based off of, you know, like what we've been talking about here on obviously the topic of the show as a whole, keeping in mind, you know, like trying to help athletes grow in their careers and create the career that they're looking for in sport. Is there anything you feel like we've missed anything you'd want to touch on a little bit more?
1: No, I think, I think it's pretty good.
0: Yeah, man. I think we've been through a lot of really good stuff and then, uh, yeah. And I think it's given a lot of really good insights not just to you know those younger athletes moving up but no matter what level you're at right there's been a lot of really good stuff here for dealing with the mental side of the game that trick with the water bottles I'm going to be telling everybody that (laughs) Uh,
1: it's so small but it's so effective you know
0: well exactly I mean like I you know I read a lot about stuff like that even for business practices and all that and just you know if you have a goal if you have a vision of where you're trying to go write that down in in a place that you're going to see it every day. And mm-hmm. you know, so I have it up on a whiteboard, I have a notebook that is just you no know, repeated repeated writing of, you know, goals, visions, things that I'm trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And it helps me out so much that it's like I've been trying to find ways to implement that for athletes, but I can't think of an easier one than have it on your water bottle. You should have that everywhere you go. Everyone drinks water, you know. I mean, I would hope so. I would hope so. <laughs> And then, if anybody's looking to get a hold of you, you know whether it's about something that they heard in the interview today or uh, about your company, because I know that you're in Sweden, but you actually work with players in the U.S. Um, and in a couple of other countries as well. Mm-hmm. Where, how would be the best way to go about that? And uh, you know, what would that sort of entail if somebody is looking to come and work with Top Speed Hockey?
1: Yeah, I have a website, topspeedhockey.com, uh, Instagram, Facebook. Email address is topspeedhockey at gmail.com. So any of those are easy to contact me and I would be more than happy to help athletes be successful.
0: That's awesome. And actually, that was one other thing I wanted to ask you about was, uh, you know, I said on your website that you're working, that you're working with players internationally as well. What does that kind of look like? Because I'd love, I'd love it if, you know, some people are listening to this today and uh, want to reach out to you about potentially starting up and working working with you as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, like nowadays with computers and technology, it's really easy to be, you know, in Sweden working with U.S. clients because every game is broadcast pretty much and I uh, can go through the game footage internationally and, you know, have the phone calls, the goal settings and everything done on a distance. And, of course, it's fun to meet the person one or two times in face-to-face, but uh, actually a good story, uh, I took a new kid on two years ago And uh, he's from Massachusetts as as well. And for, it was before COVID happened and I was supposed to go back to Massachusetts in the summer to meet him in person, but COVID came and I couldn't leave here. So I was here for two years and I never met this kid once in person. I've only talked to him on uh, FaceTime every Tuesday night at nine o'clock, my time. Uh, And he, he just bought into it. You know, and when he bought into it the way he did, his his game just went like that. And that was a really cool, cool thing to do, because I finally went back uh, back home this summer and met him for the first time. And I'm like, I feel like you're my brother. I've known you for years now. And we've only talked on the phone and only talked over uh, FaceTime. But you bought into my program. And since you bought into it, your game has changed tremendously.
0: Man, I absolutely love hearing stories like that. Like COVID was uh, obviously a game changer for any business out there. You know, like this, I remember that feeling very, very well of March, 2020, when uh, we were told, you know, the world's shut down and uh, don't, don't go into work. I remember sitting at home going, man, if I can't make it to the gym, I got nothing. Like I, that was my entire business was in-person coaching Mm-hmm. You know, if I can't make it in there, I got nothing. Like I've got no way to reach anybody. I've got no systems in place to reach people that are out of town. And that got me working on systems as well to be able to work with people everywhere. And like, I had a similar experience just in December. I had a mixed martial artist, an MMA fighter that I've been working with since, uh, since the summertime. And he had his first fight and I drove up to watch it. And like, we're not super far away but we just haven't actually met in person yet. He had this dominant win, like really, really well, like really, really good performance, dominant win, and then uh, came running into the crowd afterwards, like after he got his medicals done, got changed and all that. He came running into the crowd and he's calling me, he's going, where are you? And then, uh, you know, I told him where I was and then he comes running up to me. He's like, man, nice to meet you. (laughs) You (laughs) know, we've been working together for six months and like, yeah, it was just, it was such a cool feeling because again, like we've been talking so much. Gotten to know each other so well, and then I'm like, we're standing face to so face. I was like, Man, that feels like we've known each other forever, but we're yeah. literally meeting for the first time after I got to just watch you perform. Yeah, it's such cool, a cool few- thing!
1: And you build that connection, you know, like you've built that connection. He he bought into it, he trusted you, yeah, for six months. And that's that's the one thing that's pretty cool, like with our line of work. Like, we don't have to be in person, and we can be via you know, FaceTime or Zoom or whatever you want to use. And you can have that connection with your coach and that you can get that feedback no matter where you are.
0: Yeah, man, I absolutely love that. I love seeing the like the evolution, the innovation, all of that. And uh, again, I think right back to what I was saying at the start, I think it really goes to show the passion that you bring to the game and now to coaching as well. It's uh, I'm really excited to see where it takes you in the future too. Oh, thanks, I appreciate it. Well, Lucas, thanks so much again. I really appreciate you doing all of this. Like I've said, I think we did a lot in this interview to help a lot of players and hopefully a lot of coaches out there as well. Um, and even, you know, in the end there, a little bit about business and a little bit about how, uh, how coaches can innovate through these strange times we're living in right now. But uh, I really appreciate everything and I'll, I look forward to talking again soon. Yeah, Take care. Thanks so much. Absolutely. And for everybody else listening, thank you again for tuning in. This has been another episode of the Elite Development Podcast with Lucas Frey and Kenny Dusso. Thank you again for tuning in to another episode of the Elite Development Podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, I would greatly appreciate it if you subscribed and left a review for the show. As well, I would love to hear what your biggest takeaways were from the episode. My contact info is linked below. Send me a message and let me know what you thought. As always, I'm your host, Kenny Dusso. Thank you again and see you next time.